Welcome to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hell. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Right now, we're working our way through the book of 1 Peter. It's a phenomenal little letter. I guess, really, we should say that about all of Scripture, that it's phenomenal, that it's incredible, that it's wonderful. But 1 Peter, in particular, has always hit me in a special way because Peter is writing to encourage people that are suffering and that are dealing with the realities of the difficulties of life. He's writing to people that are elect exiles, dealing with real-life suffering, in order to encourage them in their faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the section that we're going to look at today, we see more of this as he grounds them in the truth that their hope is found in Jesus Christ, even though they can't see him. So let me read these passages, these verses, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump right in. I'm going to pick up in verse 6 to give us a little bit of context. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, as we look at your word once again this morning, I ask that you would, by your spirit, strengthen us to understand your word, to believe your word, to accept it and bear fruit in light of it. Strengthen me now also by your spirit that I may proclaim in his power that which is true of our Savior and of us in him. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, again, this originally apparently was one long sentence and it's been broken up in modern translations, but we see, and we, we have already seen this to some degree, we begin to see it here in greater clarity, how all of Peter's ideas really are working together. So I want to rehearse these ideas that we've already seen so that we can see kind of where he's driving now. In verses 3 through 5, we saw these glorious truths that according to God's mercy and by his will, we have been born again. That is, we've been given a new identity in Christ. And with that new identity, with that being born again, has come a living hope into which we have been born, and a secure inheritance into which we've been born again. So we saw that we have this new identity, this living hope, and this secure inheritance all in Jesus Christ. And we saw in verses 5 and 6 that those who have it are those who are being kept by God. We're not even keeping ourselves for these things. It is God who started the process. It is God who continues the process. It is God who will bring the process to completion. He will bring us to this salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. And so Peter told us in verse 6, In this, in all of these things, we rejoice. Even though we face trials now, we rejoice. Because we are being tested, 
Our faith is being tested, and so we are being strengthened, so we are being purified, and it's going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then in verses eight and nine, and uh, in verses eight and nine, we we see him kind of unpack a little bit about this Jesus Christ in whom all of these things are true. He says we've not seen him past tense. Remember, the the people that Peter is writing to, unlike Peter himself, would not have seen Jesus. They wouldn't have been with him. They wouldn't have eaten with him and walked with him. They wouldn't have seen him perform the miracles, even as Peter saw him perform the miracle of putting Malchus's ear back on after Peter himself had cut it off. They wouldn't have been restored to ministry by Jesus. None of this would have been true of them. It was true of Peter but it's not true of them. And so there's an interesting point that Peter is making here. He's reminding the elect exiles that that he and the other apostles are not more secure, are not more guarded, don't have a more living hope, haven't been more born again because they have seen Jesus. They, They aren't in a better position because they have seen Jesus. Now, We're in a better position because they have seen Jesus and can communicate to us and have communicated to us who he is and what he did for us. But they are not in a better position than these elect exiles who have never seen Christ. That's really incredible to think about, but it's exactly what Jesus tells them. In fact, he tells them, you will be better off if I leave because then... You will have my spirit, who I, along with the Father, will send to you to be your helper and your guide, to be your comforter, to intercede for you with groanings too deep for words, to remind you that you are a child of God, to work in you and strengthen you to put to death the deeds of the body. Jesus tells his disciples, it's better that I go and you have him than that I stay. Here's the glory of our position is that we have that one, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said it was better for his apostles to have than having Jesus in the flesh. So Peter is reminding these elect exiles and us of that reality. Though we haven't seen him, we do presently love him. Though we are not presently seeing him, though we are not presently kind of experiencing him in this physical way, we are not presently perceiving him, we are believing in him. See, Peter's bringing together this reality that that our standing with Christ is based on our faith, not our performance. Our standing with Christ is based on believing the gospel, not on seeing Jesus. Many people saw Jesus and sought to kill him because they didn't accept that he was, in fact, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Their standing was based not on their seeing him, but on their belief. And so those who saw him but didn't believe have no standing. Those like us who have not seen him and are not now perceiving him presently don't 
presently see him but still believe, Jesus tells us in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It wasn't a greater blessing even for Thomas for Jesus to show up and show him the wounds. Blessed, he says, in that moment are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is what Peter wants his readers to understand then and now. Though you have not seen him, presently you believe in him. And, still present tense, you rejoice. So he's already brought this idea up in verse 6. In this you rejoice. In what? In the the revelation of of the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time? That, That kind of encapsulates the realities that he's already talked about of having been caused to be born again into a living hope, into a secure inheritance for which we are being guarded. In all of that, we rejoice. Peter now tells us that that joy that he describes as inexpressible and glorious, or in the ESV, inexpressible and filled with glory, that that joy for the Christian is a present reality. How can this be? How can this joy that we have be a present reality? Well, here's how. When we grasp the gospel, when we grasp the the, the reality that we have a new identity in Christ, that, that his blood, that who he is and who he declares us to be speaks a truer word about us than anything that this world or that Satan is going to say about us, when we understand that we have that, that God has caused us to be born again into this new identity, and when we understand that that comes with being born into a living hope, A hope that endures, a hope that is presently living and active with us, and us in it. And when we understand that that this comes with us being born into this perfectly secure inheritance for which God is keeping us, all of a sudden, our joy is present regardless of our circumstances. Because we understand that the basis of that, that, that identity and hope and security for which we all long, every person longs for identity and hope and security, and we spend countless hours and dollars trying to secure it for ourselves. When we grasp the gospel, we understand that that identity and hope and security is ours even now because it's based on Jesus and his finished work and not the circumstances and situations of our life. And so our joy can be present as well. So we are rejoicing with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And then we are obtaining, as we continue by faith, we are obtaining presently the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, so that we can say even now, as that great hymn writer did, it is well with my soul. The sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I presently bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Might you go from here in the joy of your salvation, even now. Amen.